Denmark and Scandinavian Vikings. Like, I, it's it's practically true. You know, I've been running around, you know, squeezing berries and making squash, and I've been baking bread. <laughs> and tomorrow I'm gonna be knitting my own sweater. So you know. <laughs> you uh, I'll fit we right were into Game of Thrones. Either late last night or this morning, I forget because uh, my sleeping hours are not of the human mind. And uh, you were tweeting about eating some delicious bread, and I thought that you were a character off of the Brian Jacques series Red Wall. You were just talking about your food in great detail. Yes. <laughs> was it delicious? It was. It was so delicious. It was well worth the tweet. I've, I've become one of those people now that tweet about what I eat. It's, uh, but only when I make it myself. That's what we do here on Game of Thrones. We uh, other than just the one hour, one and a half hour, or depending on how long we record and how much we edit down, two hours of a week that we actually get to speak to one another. The rest of our communication is dedicated solely to the food that we eat. Yes. Mm-hmm. Pretty nice. It's good. You're knitting a sweater, Selena? I am knitting a sweater. Like what color is it? Like It's what? probably going to be like black and gray. It's going to be or black and white. It's going to be like the main character in The Danish The Killing, which if you want to oh. buy it, costs like $400. But I really want one. So my mom has been like, well, you can just knit it yourself, but I don't know how to knit. So we'll see how it goes. Are you going to leave this at Eric's house as a gift for me? Because those are really piling up, okay? Yeah, will you knit Zach a sweater and just leave it leave it at my house? Just, just leave it at yes. Eric's house. <laughs> I'm surprised, By the time though, I get that, Selena, I'll knit you like... Despite all your medieval practices that you're using the internet and you're using electricity. Yeah. yeah how'd yeah. you get electricity? I know. It's really hard in my mud hut. To, to actually hey, Selena, get it does to your work. mud hut have plugs? I've been wanting to look at some plugs recently. <laughs> My mud plug? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, no, I have to. No. I have to travel for that. All right. Well, let's let's talk about some Game of Thrones yes. news because I'm sure that while everyone is graciously enjoying our banter, we probably should talk about some <laughs> Was <news>. there any? <laughs> Unfortunately, the I problem? don't know any news. <laughs> There's been no news. Actually, well, since our No news is good news. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens when we're in the off-season, people. We record yes. a podcast uh, weekly, depending on our travel schedules, and, uh, you know, it, it goes in, it goes out. Uh, recently, there's just been a lot of really funny owns posted to the site if you uh, visit there, and um, Selena has written several articles about Brian and Jamie that you can find if you dig deep inside of hypable.com. Oh, yes. Really With a cheat code, then you'll find yeah. them. I think Mike has died. <laughs> I think we should probably check Mike well, out. I mean, wasn't he... Wasn't there he is. He if we get half. Well, Zach, I was actually telling you uh, earlier in the week that uh, there's this guy is doing construction on my house. It looks exactly like George R. R. Martin, and <laughs> I really had to prevent myself wow. from taking a picture. But I was going to go up and ask him and say, you know, has anyone ever told you you look like George R. R. Martin? I mean, especially in this day and age, with how popular <laughs> the books and the movies have become, he could probably make a couple bucks even signing some fake autographs. <laughs> Instead, he's spending seventy percent of his life building a new wing onto your deep estate in wow. Long Island. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what he's doing. <laughs> Micah has the Game of Owns Empire on lock, which is means it's it's the house that we have that's nearest, right to the very edge of the wall. That we occasionally climb over and record podcasts from. That's probably why my headphones sound so terrible right now. It could be. I um, podcasts I started this week's edge. book reading um, yesterday in a car ride. And it's really rare for me to be inside of a car ride that I'm not driving myself. And so I took advantage of it. And I, I read on the iPad and got my reading going. And it felt pretty good. And guys, wasn't it just a nice little... I mean, for me... It was nice to, uh, and I don't, I don't want to skip ahead. I'm just going to say this, and then we can start chronologically where we were in the books. But it was just really cool 
to uh to read a bit about King's Landing when Catelyn was approaching in her little vessel and just getting so yeah. much more imagery than the damn show shows because of you know because of context and because of TV budget they have like one green screen shot pulling up to the castle but other than that you see nothing you know what I mean yeah Catelyn's very perceptive over like all the different parts of the castle when they were built and under what like under whose authority it's a very crafty way George R. R. Martin slipped that in all that history I was actually thinking exactly the same thing when I was reading that part when she they they get to the castle and you sort of she talks about all the ships mooring um, and all the little houses and everything. And I was just thinking, just the scale of George R. R. Martin's mind is just fantastic because he can he can imagine all this and he can say, okay, well, the castle is this big, so there's this many ships, and you know, there's this this distance from the harbor to the castle, and it's just mind blowing. Yeah, me. I know. And we kind of got yeah. the same thing when Jon Snow was uh was looking at the wall with Tyrion, and he was just like thinking about the wall, just like these characters do. They think about all this mm-hmm. history that we give. But uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, very good plot <laughs> advice, Martin. But uh, no, uh, he was talking about the width of the wall and how uh, twelve dudes, let's say dudes, could ride abreast. Of the width of the wall, or twelve yeah. brands, or twelve of brands, about nine brands. And and earlier he was saying, how in King's Landing there are passageways where not two men can stand. Abreast, oh yeah, um, you know during. So also King's Landing only three hundred years old. That was interesting. Yeah, that's not too old. That's older than our country. Yeah. that's destroying the Olympics right now. By the way, sorry. May the fourth be with you. May the fourth be <laughs> with you. Well, well. Sweden's gonna do all right though. I have a feeling. I have a feeling. I have a great feeling. No, it's cool. I, 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 it was nice getting so much of that of that painted for us, and um, getting to hear about how the queen's barge is there and their little warships all furled up because they've been living in this little stint of peace. And uh, all I could think about was Blackwater when she absentmindedly mentioned it, and I was like, "Well, <laughs> you just wait, girlfriend." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I really like that um, the mention of Blackwater, and then also talking about how Roderick Cassell got sick just outside of Dragonstone, yeah, and. They also threw in uh, the mention of the Sept of Baylor, which plays a role later on in this book. But it's just like all that stuff being collectively thrown in with just the most simple of mentions. And you just read over it thinking, oh, okay. It's, and not realizing the importance that it plays later on in the series. I love when books do that. Because, like we get that and we, we always bring up our Potter references, which I'm going to quote one of the emails that we got recently. I forget the name, my kind sir. But – um. Uh, it was a very short, which is good because if an email's below five lines, usually it can get a reply. Uh, but it said, "Please stop with the ridiculous Potter references." Oh no! <laughs> Why would they say that? Uh, it's okay because we've gotten about twenty emails talking about how much people like it. So, well, good. we have to go with good. the electoral college on this one, everyone. Yeah. Um, but no, it was cool. In, in in the beginning of what we were reading this week, um, it actually starts around the same place just from a different perspective but i just thought it was really interesting how in the books we didn't, we didn't really get this feel or the excuse me the show we didn't really get this feeling because it's limited obviously and they don't have the time to go into the backstory of stuff but um when they're when aria was caught or found or whatever and they're hanging out in someone else's keep that was it was sir raymond something but they were hanging out in this other dude's castle that like robert and all those guys fought against (laughs) but now they have to like chill with them so there's like four different families (laughs) hanging out in this small castle just outside of king's landing so not only does this dude have to look at the grandeur of king's landing which robert's chilling in with his like stag replacing all the cool logos all over it but now he's just like holding court in his little castle just because he wants to it's awesome Mm mm-hmm and he's holding court to two, you know, the Starks and the Lannisters and the Baratheons who are 
right now in so much conflict, you know, out looking for lost children and killing wolves. And that's just crazy. <laughs> his life must be just... Right. And, and meanwhile, this dude's just chilling there, like probably smoking his pipe exactly. tobacco. Just like, oh my God, I hope they leave soon. And they didn't have Netflix it's back like free then. drama though, isn't it? Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like they come and they do like all kinds of crazy stuff. And he's like, wow, it's like free TV. Well, as we learn a little later on, I, I bet these visits are pretty expensive. Uh, even Catelyn had said that to, to Ned, you know, when, when the king was coming up to Winterfell. Uh, we've learned that the king kind of spends a lot of money. Um, so it, it just can't be pleasant. Well, overall. he eats, he drinks, and he whores. Yeah. I mean, that, that costs some money. Yeah. I don't know. That day. It's not free. See, it's yeah. not free nowadays but either, you know. Food is expensive. Whores are even, even more. Actually, I think food is probably Oh, for the king, they're probably free. Exchange, exchange rate wise, as far as the currency goes and the, the degradation of the dollar over time, or perhaps maybe it got stronger. I'd say it's probably about the same thing. Probably about the same price <laughs> per capita. <laughs> No, but uh, so they, they, they find Arya, um, which uh, I'm going to put a, a, a photo in the show notes that I think we posted on Goo this morning. We might have. I'm not sure. I passed it along. But uh, it's just, just it's like a little meme picture of one panel is her and the other panel is uh, shit. I forgot. the What's the hot dude's name, Selena? Renly? No, not Renly. I said Jamie. No, 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 the other hot guy. The, John? The one, <laughs> Rob? The one that you like. <laughs> Selena's in heaven. I can right keep now. going. No, no, no. Uh, Gendry, Gendry, Gendry. What the hell? How oh, right, right. Of course. My How face could is I forget that? On his torso. I don't remember his name. Um, no, uh, there's a picture. It was, it was Arya in one panel and Gendry in another panel. And she was like, I am a Stark of Winterfell in her panel. And then Gendry's right below it goes, Oh, Arya? And it's <laughs> one of the funniest things. So they find Arya. Um, and, and Ned's pissed because, uh, well, first off, his daughter's been found, so he had like a moment of solace. And then they were like, by the way, the queen and the king have her in their little throne room. So he's like, oh crap, my kid's really young, and she's probably trembling, scared to death right now because all that shit just went down by the riverside. So he marches over there, and I thought the whole line was so hilarious because he was like, I really would like to sprint right now, but I have to hold my dignity because I'll look silly exactly. sprinting in all of my Winterfell furs in the summer weather. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's like, the hand of the king does not run. <laughs> he, um, yes. he fast walks. <laughs> he, was, he, he was angry. It's been four days. Arya has not eaten anything more than berries. Kind of like, uh, I don't know, maybe Selena. She could probably kind of like tips. me. She could yeah, tips, uh, from you living in the but forest. Yeah, and 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 the queen obviously you know heard about Arya being found first. So Ned was not told until Arya is already before the queen in this uh, council room. Um, you know this guy. So yeah, Ned's pissed. He even says, "Damn that woman," which I thought was you know shocking to me because that is kind of you know he's letting his frustration uh, get in the way of his uh, other you know other other otherwise uh, what would be courtesy. Uh, to, to not say that sort of thing out loud, but yeah, he's he's just uh, very upset and has to play the, the father role. We got two chapters, two editor chapters this time around, which I thought was excellent. And in this first one, he is really shown... Uh, you know, trying to control his his emotion. You better you better savor those editor chapters, Eric. I know that's I what Selena said. That. She's like, oh, it was great while it lasts. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> this is one of those true. perfect like situations where I'm always sort of annoyed when I watch a film before I read a book or something. But I appreciate wholeheartedly the fact that I see Sean Bean in my head when I think of Ned Stark. <laughs> so yeah, like, I know me too. I'm, I feel like I'm blessed with that. So thank you, Sean Bean, for stabbing people in the off season. I appreciate that. <laughs> no um, so what about this whole exchange? Um, now, obviously, Robert doesn't even want to kill a direwolf. Um, it's pretty intense. Like Arya has to tell her side of the story because Joffrey has completely lied about it. She's granted that opportunity. Lord Renly has to excuse himself from the room. <laughs> I mean, this is the first. Awesome. This is the first. Like, this might not even be the first time in this book where Renly has just seemed like this big ass. Um, no, he's so funny though, because you can just tell that he has no respect for Joffrey whatsoever. And I think any character who displays that trait is is good. You know, he's just like, he's just displayed as the young Robert, you know, he's carefree. He doesn't give a crap. He like practically curtsies to Joffrey on his way out and is like, tell me how you got beaten by a nine-year-old girl. And I was just like, okay, Renly, whatever. So he's dismissed and goes off somewhere else. And then like, this shit happens with the wolf. And I'm just trying to say like, isn't this a bit like, I don't know, the transference between the wolves. Like, Cersei doesn't care which wolf gets it, but she wants blood. And, you know, clearly she's she's not going to be um, satisfied until one of the... Di- until Stark House is dishonored, essentially. Right. Um, but doesn't yeah. Sansa do this to herself, though? I mean, if she would have told the truth, who knows what the outcome would have been? And Ned even says he knows the truth because Sansa told it to him previously. Yeah. But she chooses yeah, not that's to. That's a good point. Actually, she's a kid, though, because you know? I think, yeah, and I think that even though Sansa, I mean, clearly you see that difference where Arya immediately goes, you know, no, not not Lady, she didn't have anything to do with this. Where Sansa immediately goes, no, no, take Arya's wolf, which is obviously horrible. But I, at the same time, I think just just the idea that Lady has to die for something that you know she's clearly not a threat to anything or anyone. I think that's just terrible, and I don't think. Sansa deserves that. Well, think about how long Cersei has disliked the Starks and the entire idea of them, and she never gets to stretch her power at all. Like, she never gets to act, like, cool. So this is pretty much the only thing she can get over Ned. So she's gonna do it, you know? And when when she does, too, even Robert's like, damn yep. you, woman. And I'm like, wow, she's not getting any love. No, that, was like... a, that was a really uncomfortable scene, honestly. I yeah. thought it was amazing, though. I immediately thought of uh, Selena. I was like, well, I'm sure she's, like, giggling right now and, like, leaping. When uh, when, when <laughs> Renly stood up and he's like, yeah, okay, I'll see myself out. So, because Ned or uh, Robert's like, please excuse my brother before he chokes. <laughs> and he walks yes. out. And you can hear him. And they use, they, he used the word guffaw. He was, when, he, when he was outside <laughs> the, the arena, the chamber or whatever, he was guffawing, okay, just outside the door, <laughs> laughing about it being a lion's tooth. And that... that, that it just entirely paints this context of this. Renly Baratheon is a Baratheon. He's a badass like Robert was ages ago. And he's like, man, these Lannisters suck. And he's just like I making <laughs> fun of this Lannister kid. He's like lion's tooth. Like, oh, good one. Enjoy it in the riverbed right now, you know? And in the show, wasn't it Robert, though? I don't think they use Renly at all in this scene. It was Robert who kind of goes after his own son and basically said... You know, you got taken to task by a girl with a stick. Yeah. Mm. They covered it okay in the show. I mean, it was it was easier to keep it, like, such so early in the series not to give too much notice to other characters, you know? That's true. Mm-hmm. But I think it would have been really cool if we got to see early on just how sort of swaggery 
Renly is because I mean in the book so far he has just got an incredible amount of swagger over really anyone else at the moment like he just he's cool he does his shit and he moves on that's empowered later on when Ned uh, I believe it's it's the later editor chapter when he like has to remark at how much Renly actually looks like the old Robert <laughs> and then Baelish is like yeah he looks a lot like him he also <laughs> spends more dime on, on clothes than any girl in this game yes I loved it. And yeah. I feel like that's, that's it was kind of, I mean, I guess it's kind of stereotypical yeah. based on what we know of Renly, but I kind of liked it because we don't, obviously we don't get the, the chest shaving scene in the book. We don't get a lot of, a lot of, um, a lot of explicit mentions of, of Renly's sexuality. So I feel like they need to, he needs to throw stuff like that in. Well, in the book, they make it seem like he's a lot more manly and more badass. Because in the, in, yeah, in the show, he was manly. Like, really. like he was manly. But, was he really? I mean, I, I don't want to dog on the actor. Like it was, it was how they directed mm. it. I just com- compare mm. to the books. Compare to the books. Renly is not manly, but in the books, he's a no. champ. He's just like walking around wearing like sweet ass armor, and he's also mm. well trained and awesome. And he's just yeah. like defying retards, which is so funny to me. <laughs> I I wanted to make the comparison to the Narnia books actually uh, in this chapter because Sansa's choice to essentially betray her family ends in you know results in her wolf dying it's kind of like she's divorced from the stark family now that she no longer has a wolf um you know but she made that decision to betray arya um as a result of it and it, i just think it's similar to you know sansa does it for joffrey um essentially you know his his heart her heart goes faster when he touches her on her shoulder in the previous chapter and she's made this choice where she says i'm not sure such a betrayal in the narnia book susan um the older sister is eventually cast out of narnia um yeah because, and it, it is said that she uh, has more interest in makeup and boys um than in narnia which is or in aslam which is obviously the god character mm-hmm. and she she gets cast out though essentially for the same reason that a boy has come between her and you know what her siblings are doing um, so I thought that that reference was able to be made, and hopefully it'll offset some of our podcast. That was references. a legit reference. I really like that's a really good reference. I really think that's I didn't even think of that, but I always thought of of Susan's choice, sort of more of the Peter Pan, you know, growing up, growing up kind of situation. But that's a it's a good point. <laughs> it's one of J.K. Rowling's bringing it back to Potter, of course. It's one of J.K. Rowling's complaints Perfect. about the Narnia series, though that that Susan is really give shit on. I you know I want to say overall by C.S. Lewis. Um, you know, for growing up, essentially. But uh, but so Sansa made that decision, and you know, we just see kind of the the beginnings of a of a long twisted path where Sansa has to, you know, continuously toe the line between being a Stark and being the betrothed to to Joffrey. So mm. that made me uncomfortable. It was supposed to in this scene, um, but you know, it's just going to get worse. I think having seen this serious show. question, what would you guys have done? If it were you, because I I personally think that she made the best decision as who if I were Sansa in that as situation, Sansa? I think she made the best decision because she just like chose to go in there and basically plead the plead the fist. She was like, I, I didn't see anything like she's like, I'm not going to call my sister a liar. <laughs> I'm not going to call the prince of the seven kingdoms a liar. I'm just going to chill. Yeah, it's a good question. It's hard to say that we betray our own family. Like, but Ned knows the truth. So Ned knows that Sansa, maybe he even respects a little bit of the fact that She's trying not to be as bold as Arya, 
in this whole situation. Like the fact is Arya and Sansa being different people, that's a good thing that they're not the same character. Otherwise Ned would have a lot, you know, more to deal with in terms of this politics. But I, I, you know, I do struggle to think that Arya and Sansa's relationship is a little bit more important than, you know, the relationship between Sansa and Joffrey at this point. Um, Joffrey sure doesn't care what Sansa says. Um, so I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. The whole, the whole situation is just so unfair. You know, like you, you, the the way that the queen is acting, the way that you know Arya is telling the truth and no one believes her, and that Sansa doesn't doesn't stand up for her, and then the fact in the end that Sansa is the one who ends up losing the wolf that did absolutely nothing wrong. I think just in that sense, I would be so incensed by the unfairness or unfairness of it all that I would be like, I actually, want to tell the truth. But you're right. It's a good point that you're making, Zach, that, you know, angering them, <laughs> your future husband. They just have to be so smart because, like, they're playing politics because the way they're raised in this high court world, like, they're raised to sort of respect the king and the king's royal family more. I mean, the same, if not more, than their their own. You know, it's like loyalty. I think King Robert said it best. You know, children fight, and that's the reality of it. And They're just children. And to take mm. such extreme action, though, I mean, it's almost like what if – you had a friend who had a dog who you guys were messing around and all of a sudden the dog came up and bit you, you know, would your parents react and say, Hey, actually we want that dog put to sleep or something to that effect. I mean, it's kind of like that in a way, if you're bringing it to present day, you know, if you have an animal attack you at, at a friend's house, your parents are probably going to be pretty adamant about something being done as a result. I mean, it happened to me a lot growing up, actually. One time an Alaskan Malamute tackled my ass while I was playing football. He was really energetic. Needless to say, it was third <laughs> down and long, so it didn't go so well for me on that end, but the dog ended up living and uh, later broke into my elementary school, so that was fun. So to answer your question, Michael, yes, parents would probably <laughs> wow. like to do something about <laughs> that it. That dog wanted children, man. It was <laughs> yeah, serious. Definitely, man. man. He was out for but blood. I think the scene also really showed how vindictive Cersei is because she doesn't just let it go. You know, Arya brings up the yeah. fact Nymeria, she, she got away, but Cersei insists on there being blood for Joffrey drawing blood, uh, you know, in that scene. And they go and they kill Lady. And I really liked how noble uh, Ned was about it. Yeah. You know, he says, I'm going to do this. She doesn't deserve to be killed by a butcher. And not only that, they make him, or, or sorry, he makes the. Uh, his men, four of his men, take the body back up to Winterfell to bury it. That was cool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he says she will not have this, you know, skin, um, you know, as as like it's it's just not worthy of, uh, you know, Lannisters are not worthy of this uh, sacrifice. Although it does make me wonder because he does – he th Ned thinks at some point either in this chapter or the next one that he wonders if what he did actually angered the gods that sent them these wolves. At this point in the story, I'm not really sure what gods are actual, actually the gods of the story, if there are any. But could that be true? I mean, could that be why he meets such a horrible fate he, later he on? He does wonder that. He's because what he, you know, somebody said to him when he got the direwolf, you know, this is a sign, and he was just like, whatever. Um, mm -hmm. And he does reflect on it very briefly. How? Oh, what was he thinking? I think he does feel some guilt. Um, he has that moment too in this chapter where he says that he didn't really take as much time previously to think about what his children had named the direwolves oh. but how um, closely reflective Lady is of Sansa, how Lady is not vicious at all she's sort of very proper and, and just is very relaxed in terms of her demeanor and yeah, I, I think it's a great 
kind of point that you brought up that perhaps you know he's sticking a knife into his own house sigil you know he's killing mm-hmm. a dire wolf which is reflective of who he is and what he is all about and his whole family is about and so perhaps yeah he he had a little bit of a uh, you know taboo created there by by doing that i think writing wise it's it's treated delicately enough where um you know george r, r. martin doesn't go into it he says when it was done um you know it, there's no scene yeah. where he's actually taking ice he says to somebody else you know fetch ice um but he, you know he doesn't actually have we don't have to witness in reading the actual taking of and like a, a last squelch from the dog or anything you know it's done very tenderly because it's a very you know, I, I think that's what I like about the writing is that I, we were spared the specifics, but we knew exactly what I was thinking happen. the same thing, man. Like when I read that, I was thinking, well, there's a few – there's stuff in the book that they like to go into grotesque detail over that was pretty like shaded over – or stuff in the show that they like to go in gro- grotesque detail over that was pretty well sort of shaded over in the books. But uh, there's a flip side of that. Sometimes they give something that's huge in detail absolutely no look at all. And it's just really interesting which ones they chose. And in the show, they really chose mm-hmm. to play up this whole killing scene. I mean, it was probably like two or three minutes or something like that. Maybe two minutes. I don't know. And then the hound what, returned. Yeah, what did you guys think about the fact that the hound killed Mike? <laughs> Mike <our laughs> Sorry, Mike. Um, Wait, can we have a moment of silence for horrible... Mike? Just, just one. Just right. One. No, okay. I want to okay. give a moment of silence, but all I hear is Styx's lady playing in the background. <laughs> lady! <laughs> God. But, you know, I just feel like the way that the Hound did this, and, you know, you could tell, because you could tell how much, like, Pleasure. actual joy he took from killing this poor boy in this horrible way, and I feel like with what we know of the Hound now, I actually kind of like him. I'm like, oh, well, he's not really that bad, but I forgot that he did yeah. this. Well, in the show, they make his the, the whole thing a lot more tender again. Yeah. Than, than, but in the books, he's just like bloodthirsty. He's basically he's basically got blood running down his lips, like Denethor and Gondor. And he's like, "Hey, um, he ran." <laughs> so I yeah, but not So I cleaved him from shoulder to waist. <laughs> I recommend that everyone who's listening that uh, there's a lot of you guys following along, but some of you guys aren't, which some of you have admitted. So, if you aren't, maybe just Google this excerpt and just read it if you actually like the Hound, because you might change your mind. If, right. I think there was dignity in the way that Micah died, as far as, you know, he wasn't taken alive. He wasn't going to stand in court and have Joffrey lie to his face about what happened. There's there's a quiet dignity, too. Um, well, yeah, and if the Hound came after you, I bet you're asking. <laughs> yeah, you would. <laughs> Eric's going to be, yeah. he's going to like pull off his shirt, and then below it, you'll see carefully placed fishnet made of mithril, and so nothing nothing would kill him. <laughs> mithril, And he's yeah. just sprinting, yeah. and he just climbs a tree, and then there's White Walkers down there that take care of the Hound, and this is the new story that we've written, Game of Owns Part 1. I can't believe this. I'm a survivor. I mean, you are. You'll never give up. You're not going to stop what you'll keep surviving. Net. That's very what? handy. I love that R&B song, by the way, everyone who's listening. Um, <laughs> well, speaking of survivors. Yeah. That was an excellent transition. Um, speaking of survivors or um... – <laughs> Yes. Sorry, well, I lost He it. could be a survivor if you look at it in that, in that sense. But in our next uh, piece of our Google Doc, we're talking about Bran here, commonly referred to as Braun, sometimes by us. It's confusing people. Sometimes. Thank you for your emails. Um, it depends if we feel like talking with a bit of an accent, I guess, right? Micah or Eric, yeah. whoever put this together, I don't think it was Serlina, but um, there's one bullet point on Bran, and it just says acid trip. And <laughs> on my notes, swear to God, I'm going to open up my notes right now, and all mine says is 
Brand trips drugs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. This, this scene felt like it, a, a complete, a mix between, um, who's the fear and loathing uh, yeah. author? And, 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 He's on raw and, ether. Um, and Alice in Wonderland and Lewis Carroll. That's so um, good. You, you know, because also you've got, tripping. you've got this, and, and it was interesting, interesting to see Martin do this because just like, J.K. Rowling's dream sequences uh, that I'm more familiar with than Lewis or, um, you know, Lewis Carroll. Um, you know, there's so much symbolism happening the entire way through. Like, everything that's witnessed and experienced and written about um, will either come into play or has some meaning that is, you know, just below the surface uh, to it. But, you know, essentially, Bran is being mentored by a, a what he later sees as a three-eyed crow uh, to learn how to fly. He is falling from a great height where at first he can't even see the ground. It's just clouds. Such great heights. Eventually he sees like mountaintops and he's being encouraged by this talking crow who in my mind is more like Gilbert Gottfried um, <laughs> telling him, telling him fly, him child. you know, and, and, and sometimes he's like, got any corn? <laughs> so <laughs> this was just weird. This was that a was weird such chapter. a great bit of humor though. I thought when I was reading, I was like, well, hell, I guess the bird's hungry even in dreams. So you gotta eat. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting is that that's the same thing that the crow later on talks about or speaks about um, in the Jon Snow chapter. He keeps saying corn, corn. Corn, which is like the, what's that called? Onomatopoeia or something where it's, that's not the right word for it, but it's- You it's just wanted you to say onomatopoeia. He did, he did. Yeah, I did. I did. <laughs> well, I, it's still like, bel- it's like burp, burp sounds like burp. Corn is what the, what the, what the crow is saying sounds like corn. It's not actually saying corn, but maybe I can tell you're not from Illinois originally, Eric. Just by the way, by the way, you say corn. I uh, I did a bunch of ad work for this uh, agriculture company, KCIH, and I got to hang out in some Illinois cornfields last year in Decatur, Illinois. And then when they talk about <laughs> corn, I'm going to give you guys my best impression. They're like, "Ah, oh, we're growing corn here. Corn is real growing here. Corn." <laughs> <laughs> so you've got that Hershey's Pennsylvania accent. It's like molasses yeah. falling right out of your mouth. Say it again, Eric. Corn. There you go. <laughs> Sorry. Moving on. <laughs> But you know, though, about that whole dream sequence thing was it was amazing because when I when I read it the first time, I just remember being like, oh, you know, because obviously this isn't really in the show at all, ironically enough, because they kind of do cut out these these kind of vision thingies. But I was just like, oh, you know, it's cool. He's waking up, blah, blah, blah. But then reading it this time, Bran actually, before he wakes up, he sees everything that's going on yeah yeah in the kingdom like he actually sees and and not even he doesn't it's interestingly enough he doesn't only see everything from above he he at one point is like he sees inside catlin's cabin on the ship it's like he just sees everything and i'm thinking of the game of thrones opening credits as actually brand yeah whoa and he like sees their emotion too. Like he knows what his mum is feeling. Mm, yeah. He's like, well, hey, she's sad about stuff. I have a uh, another Harry Potter reference here. Um, how many? Of the, how many of these can we get in the first thirty minutes? Bring it on. Bring it on. But uh, no, when he's falling, he sees Master Lewin on his balcony at Winterfell, and it says he's quote studying the sky through a polished bronze tube and frowning as he made notes in a book. And I Ooh. I just keep thinking of the centaurs being like, God, yeah. man. Mars, Mars is, is bright tonight. I was tonight. Say that. Bran is falling. I was, Mars I was is bright say tonight. That. Shit. And he like frowns and makes a note in the book. So 
Master Lewin knows what's up. He's yeah, he like, does. oh, winter's coming. He's got that keychain with all the bling on it. He knows He knows what's it. going on, guys. <laughs> He's frowning and making – so so Master Lewin, maybe though, honestly, maybe this is just in the aftermath of the library burning to the ground at Winterfell that he needs to make new content. Yeah, and <laughs> probably. Gives, give somebody something to read He's about. He's trying to get published. He's, try- <laughs> He's like, I, there's my chance. Um, but yeah, he's he's obviously making notes to himself about the forecoming. You know, Master Lewin is just one of the most interesting characters, I think, uh, for me. To 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 the, the fact that this little bit about him would be in the uh, in in the, but it doesn't bode well. It just doesn't bode well at all. Well, he, well she, um, he even sees no. the Dothraki people over there hanging out, and he like they yeah. even talk about like dragons in uh, I forget what the place is called, a shy yes. under the ground. Yeah, he's he's going east of. The Ass High. Uh, there we go. Ass High. <laughs> yes. That's corrected in early back. view. It's back. It's back, people. We brought it back. It's cool, though, um, because uh, we, uh, we're, 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 we're supposed to think that this is uh, an acid trip or something. Like, he's in, he's got milk of the poppy. He's asleep. You know, we've all been there in hospital beds. And if you haven't, it's vivid. So he's seen stuff. And um, are we meant to think that it's not real or that it's not happening? Because I would say if there's a fraction and let's say there's seven things he saw, we know that like five out of seven had actually just happened or were yes. happening. So yes. we also should probably gather that there are some dragons whispering out in the east, you know? Yeah. Yes, exactly. That are already alive. Oh, my gosh. You know what I mean? That are already mm-hmm. alive. Yeah, that are alive. Yeah. That's what exactly what I thought as well. I really wonder because that's like where no characters have ventured before. It's true. Well, did, it's did so anybody cool. else think and of as well. Tom Petty's Free Fallen when he was just one more? I had a question though. There, there's a moment when he goes down and he's looking over, you know, uh, Ned and Sansa and Arya, and uh, he references three different characters. That one of them is obvious. He says one shadow was dark as ash with the terrible face of a hound. Another was armored mm. like the sun, golden and beautiful. I'm guessing that's Renly. Jamie? I thought that was Brienne. Oh, Jamie. Was Jamie. Jamie's golden. And then over them both loomed a giant in armor made of stone, but when he opened his visor, there was nothing inside but darkness and thick black blood. Who is that supposed to be? <sighs> Hodor. Hodor. I thought... <laughs> no, he sees Hodor. Hodor. He does see Hodor in this dream. But... <laughs> I thought it was um, maybe like the the threat, you know, coming from beyond the wall. Imagery, yeah. But that that doesn't make sense that it's there because that's not Well, what about the, 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 the... I mean, uh, eventually the shadow monster... Varys. Oh, wait, I bet it... Yeah, what if it was the shadow vag and it was like looming over the golden Renly? But Renly's not golden. But no, I think, still think the golden one is Jamie. Yeah, well, no, Renly would be like rainbow colors. Probably. Maybe it's Cersei. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, well, the golden, I think, is just the whole bloodline, the whole all the Lannisters, maybe with the exception of Tyrion. But, um, yeah, but yeah. Because the don't we learn later that uh, half of the gold that the king, that King's Landing owes is, is three million golden dragons to Tywin Lannister? So yeah. gold I, is everywhere. They have golden hair. They have all this gold that they've loaned the crown. Um, gold has to be Lannister, but that that reminded me just now of this really weird part. If a drug trip isn't weird enough, um, when Bran is falling, he sees Jamie Lannister's face. Uh, you know, pretty much saying the things I do for love. The crow freaks out. The, he's like the crow's trying to get him. <laughs> the crow's trying to get him to find his wings and stuff, and he's like 
Bran is like thinking about if he's ever been this thin before because he looks thin. <laughs> he was All definitely messed J- up. Yeah, J- Jamie. <laughs> Look appears. at my legs; they're so scrawny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Well, Jamie appears, and the crow is like he says, and I, I wrote this down. This is just weird. Not that. Forget that. You do not need it now. Put it aside. Put it away. Mm-hmm. Right. Is this like mm-hmm. the thought of? So it's trying to wake him up, though. It's trying to wake up whatever it is that it needs to wake up in between his eyes that is pecking him there. Trying to wake the dragon, you know. So I think he's just yeah, wake it. Oh, there you go. There you go. <laughs> um, but so yeah, so I think he's just that's irrelevant. He's not going to sink into dreams or, or memories or anything. Is the crow good always? Because I thought when he was freaking out that it was like he was going in and out of being a helper and then into being like some kind of like I don't want to say demonic force that was like pushing him toward. I don't know. I felt like he was bad and good at the same time. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think because ultimately Bran should, the first thing out of Bran's mouth should be, you know, when he wakes up, I was pushed, uh, you know, by by Jamie or whatever. Um, you know, if he had, if the crow had encouraged him to remember that and focus more on the memory, maybe, you know, the justice could be done a little bit more swiftly but to Jamie Lannister. there wasn't time, though. Right. I think that's it. Because, you know, when Bran looks down and he they, this, this, this line, he sees a vision of a thousand dreamers impaled below him. And, you know, that sort of, I think, to me, made it seem like the crow had tried to wake up others in the same situation as Bran. That's sharp. That's good. And, and they had so all failed deep. and they yeah, had all died. so deep. So he's basically saying, Bran, if you don't wake up now, you're going to die. Yeah. Wow. So that's what he's trying to do. And the only way that he does is he looks deep into the heart of winter. Like he goes beyond the mm-hmm. wall. Like yeah. so far beyond the winter wall. Winter is coming. It's, and it's on its way. <sighs> the crow says to him, now you know why you must live. So he is clearly seen what is awaiting you know in future books and what is is about to happen and then he just wakes up and that's it man it's i mean he tease. flies a little bit but you know then he wakes up <laughs> and, oh yeah, yeah and there's fun. this point where he flies rainbow yeah. road it's good no yeah. i uh i think that this is the best chapter so far i'm gonna go ahead and just say it for me yep. it was it was awesome it's because and as it's a result so... of that he names his dire wolf oh summer, summer. such that's a good the... ending yeah yeah mm-hmm. just sealing um, it up it's it's a shame though. There is that little bit about he sees the direwolf crawl up on him on his legs, but he feels nothing. Um, but then he does feel the warmth of the direwolf, so that prompts the name. So he's crippled but alive, and that's obviously a, a great revelation. No, I think that it's obvious in the books how important Bran is, and it's unfortunate how <clears throat> not very obvious it is in the show because in the books he's exactly. he's the man, you know, like this. Well, I- you know what I'm saying? I feel like, yeah, yeah, but uh, even though it's true that they cut this trip away from the TV show, in all the other later episodes, it seems he was always dreaming about that damn crow. Um, at least for me in the show, mm. like, and it's been a while, but I do remember him having all those weird crow dreams that didn't seem to make any, re- you know, have any reason for being around. So they're focusing on him, but I, I do think his destiny, you're right, his destiny is less clear. Well, it's just like showing him doing target practice in the show, but like what Selena just said, the whole thing about the other thousand people that crow is trying to give like this vision to and all these different things, like that's that was some, so deep. That's some deep shit. And I feel like uh, a lot of people will catch that. They might not catch it directly, but they'll catch it inside of their minds. And as they're reading, when a brand chapter comes around, they're going to be excited and care just a little bit more. And I feel like in the show, it's probably not like that as much. Like, we're more excited to see Hodor carry anvils around, you know? That is exciting. He carries them around like they're bales of hay, man. Just bales of hay. Just toss them. I don't know if anyone here has ever tried to pick up an anvil. They're pretty heavy. Yeah. 
<laughs> well, we got to learn the backstory of Peter Baelish a little bit. Uh, again, of Bales. Yeah, again, Bales. Bales. That's a great transition, guys. <laughs> no, uh, I, uh, I feel like, again, another great plot device inside of a character's head that he's that uh, Martin has fashioned so well. And again, is another advantage of having so many different characters uh, as point of view. But uh, we get to learn more about Baelish and about what he did to uh, try to win Catelyn's heart. And I immediately thought, because it was following Bran's chapter, and I immediately thought, well, maybe, guys, maybe Catelyn likes Bran more than all the other ones. Because he's not the youngest. He's not the newest. Maybe mm-hmm. she likes them him more than all, all the other ones because she reminds her, or he reminds her of Brandon, who she was going to wed before Ned. Especially in yeah, the name, you know. Yeah, because his name is Bran. Yeah. I guess, and she grew to, I think it said early in the book that she grew to love Nat and they grew to love each other and they grew to make it work, but maybe Brandon was really, you know, her knight in shining armor, the real unfettered knight in shining armor that, that never really meant to be. Yeah, I mean, if, if Catelyn was anything like Sansa, then Bran, no, uh, Brandon would have been like her Joffrey, you know, and once Brandon died, she would have been left marrying Tommen, you know, right. kind of similar to that. And that probably didn't excite her as much. You know, that Kat really was makes... boy crazy, too. You know, she was. <laughs> yeah. That really makes Baelish more like Snape, uh, really. He's so much like Snape. <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. All of this. Yeah. He was, uh, so here's the backstory. I wrote it down in my notes very quickly. Um, Peter Baelish was uh, Catelyn's father's ward. Uh, so kind of like, uh, I guess, Theon is to, to Ned and Ned was to... Mm-hmm. Um, you know the, the John Aaron. John Aaron. John right. Aaron. Um, so he challenged Brandon Stark for Catelyn's hand. He uh, was he lost the challenge, but and was left with a scar. Um, but uh, Catelyn pleaded for Brandon to let him live. Um, Baelish left. He was dismissed from the Tully, you know, home or whatever. And he sent a letter once Brandon had died, but Catelyn never opened it. She burned it. And uh, apparently, he was always clever as a boy, but not necessarily wise. Or tall. So much like Snape. You're right. They even have red hair. Oh, my God. <laughs> Wait, Snape has red you hair? See, it's not our not fault. These, get... these parallels are just oh, right there. Oh, yeah. the Tullys have red hair? Yeah. Yeah, this isn't our fault. All great yes. stories have gingers, guys. You can quote me on it. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell. Yeah, I mean, so essentially like Baelish and when Catelyn is rowing into uh, – or when her men are rowing into King's Landing, she's wondering how the years have treated Baelish. Um, you know, and it and it says they were like at one point they were brother and sister. Um, Baelish uh, is kind of like the Lannisters here. He didn't really care. He wanted to make her more than his sister. Um, but uh, you know, she didn't have those feelings, and now he's lost himself in being the king's coin um, guy, you know, handler guy. <laughs> yep. Uh, so yeah, I think the I think he's like Snape. He would be a Slytherin for sure. Yeah, for sure, yeah, for without sure. a doubt. Um. Well, obviously, we get introduced to Avaris as well. Oh yeah. And I think this chapter, going back, set why I can't. Even though Varys has actually done some pretty nice things, both in the show and the series, I cannot get over this first introduction and how much I thought he was like Grima Wormtongue. Yeah. In Lord of the Rings, yeah. like he just has that sleazy, sniveling quality to him. It's just like you he know that everything he says like is a lie. He giggles. giggles like a girl. Yes. Which is you can't trust people who giggle. <laughs> yeah. He's perpetually a... dressed to visit the Playboy Mansion with his velvet slippers, <laughs> <laughs> with like little bells. And he smells on of death and roses. Like Prison Snow. Snow, exactly. I was just thinking. I was thinking that when I read yeah. it, like, oh, oh lilac just... breath. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it is too. Like George R. E. The, e. There's all these um, descriptors 
for Varys. And it's like, oh, he smells. And it's like flowers. So you're like, well, okay, not the worst smell. But the fact that George R. R. Martin has written Varys smells at all. Yeah. The fact that he's, Varys yeah. smells. That he's, that he's drawing attention to he's his He's oily odor. and perfumed. Or yeah, oily and perfumed. Well moisturized. Like, now, you're thinking, now you're thinking Illyria or Illyrio, right? Yeah. You know, with his perfume. And so there's all these like negative things. They're, they're not negative, but because you're – you're you're meant to think that this guy smells, even if it's a bad or good smell. He smells, and so there's like this aura, you know, very real aura. But still, you know, it's just unpleasant to think of this guy, and 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 there's this threat that he has possibly harmed, um, you know, Catelyn's Catelyn's man, um, and you know all this stuff, and and so he is kind of a, a, an imposing presence. I think his intro is is very well done, but you're right, you don't like this character. You're just kind of forced to deal with them yeah. uh, as the characters are. I didn't really know what to think of him after this chapter. And if I'd been reading it before watching the show, I would have been like, eh, this guy's weird. And he's so yeah. He knows everything. That that should kind of you know make some sort of light bulb go off about his level of importance. He clearly knows so much. I mean, he knew that Catelyn was coming to King's Landing and tipped off Baelish. And then he knew... You know, because he overheard a conversation between Sir Roderick and the guy he was going to meet about the dagger, that Catelyn was coming to King's Landing, or, or her whole purpose of being there was the dagger. You know, he asks, can you show me the dagger? And he, like, got right down to business. Like, brass tacks mm-hmm. threw him out the window and was like, hey, where's the dagger? And I just thought it was weird. Like, they mentioned the birds. Uh, the little birds line was mentioned twice, once by Baelish, once by Varys. And I immediately thought... And I, I try to remove myself from the knowledge I have already from when I'm reading these books again. But I um, I immediately thought of magic. I was like, well, his little words, that's a euphemism. He has some kind of magic, like obviously. Because he has mm. this unofficial title that was given to him, Lord. Like he really, no one knows that much about him yet. And we just, all that we know is that he rose the, through the ranks crazily. Because she doesn't like calling him Lord, but she has to. And he's mm. incredibly powerful. Like he knows more than everyone. And I think he has some kind of magic from from what I've read in this chapter. Varys the Magnificent. I'm not sure. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm not. I'm just not sure well, that he just doesn't have lots of people spying for well, him. But you could be. You know right. what I mean? Definitely like I feel right. like birds is is, is 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 maybe it represents that he has like some kind of like charmed birds or something. I don't know. But, well, maybe. actually, Ooh. that reminds me of the crow chapter. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. the crow tells Bran there are different kinds of wings. Um, you know, when Bran says, "But I don't have oh. wings," you, you can fly. So maybe I mean I don't ne- I, like I'm not necessarily thinking Varys has magic. I think Varys is uh, has been forced to operate in the real world ever since his uh, ever since he lost his his manhood, you know. He's he's been forced to kind of live in the real uh, hard cold world. As a result, he's probably stronger, but I think he's <laughs> yeah. developed a I, I think he's developed a very real network of very real um informants. However, the fact that he calls them him, them birds is a little self-indulgent. Um, it's a little, but he's queer. also called the spider. Yeah, he's maybe he's called the spider. Ooh, maybe he's an animagus. Maybe he is. Oh, that makes sense. He's a little. He's got. Look for the marking next time you guys see a raven flying around. <laughs> Actually, he'd probably be like a macaw parrot, like just in the middle of somewhere. Like he's <laughs> well, in the no, north. Is there a hairless <laughs> bird? Because Varys has has no hair at all. Apparently. Oh well, um, I think that that would. He's not a bald work. eagle. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> there you go. Majestic. Bald yeah, they're bald. <laughs> well, they have feathers. Um, feathers aren't really hair. I um. He's an albino cat. The the one other thing I wanted to bring up. We talked about this at the top of the show, but as Catelyn is making her way to King's Landing, there was one thing that I th- I found that was it was so it was cr- it's cruel, but it's fascinating and it's 
you know, interesting. I say cruel because that's the guy's name. You know, that uh, Magar the Cruel, and I guess they named Magar's Holfast after him, which I think is where the hand of the king resides, right? Magar's yeah. Holfast. Sure. Uh, but they described how he, you know, created this whole, you know, fortress, this whole castle, and then he killed all the people who made it so that none of the secrets about how it was created ever got out. It's smart, yeah. though. Yeah, oh, it's so smart. It should be so illegal. If we've learned anything from this series so far, it's that no one is loyal to anyone. And so, with enough <laughs> well, I mean, they were silver his stags, like, they'll tell stuff, you know? They were his servants. Yeah, I, I gone the Conqueror, Mygor the Cruel. Well, apparently, so so the, the saying was that only Dragon's Blood would know the castle's secrets. And I couldn't help but think, like, 300 years later... What if Daenerys, you know, maybe through a dream or somehow, will learn some secret passageway that only the the men of Dragon's Blood ever knew? And you mean like uh, the entrance to the Chamber of Secrets? Yeah, like wouldn't wouldn't that give her? Wouldn't that give her a? uh, Don't tell. Wouldn't that give her? That would give her a very tactical advantage. You know, if if the day comes ever to take storms and the fact that only Targaryens could know about all of its secrets. You know, Robert right now, this is very much like the Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, it is. But Robert is sitting <laughs> Robert is you, sitting on <laughs> All the uh Robert is sitting on the throne. All the banners have changed. But that doesn't mean just because they're living in King's Landing that they know all the secrets because it was built long before they were there. Um, <laughs> There's a dragon in the walls. If we know anything <laughs> from Twitter, all it's he needs to do plumbing. is clap, point his hands forward, and those banners will change quickly. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, true. Absolutely. This is terrible. Do you guys think that that's how? Do you think that's how Varys is seeing all this stuff? Maybe when he sleeps at night, he sees really vivid images like the like the crow does, and like how Bran was peeking into Catelyn's like bedchamber, seeing what she was thinking. Maybe Varys just like knows what people's thinking. Maybe Varys is the crow. Oh my god, that Ooh. would make total sense. That's why he reacted so negatively to Jamie because he's jealous exactly. of his flowing locks. <laughs> like, no matter what he does to be moisturized and away. salved appropriately, yeah, yeah. He, Jamie, he'll never be as suave as Jamie Lannister. No, no one will. <laughs> no one will. Um, Where is Jamie you know, Lannister? Let's talk about that a sec. He was off somewhere. Trying to he's catch hunting. Micah is what he was trying to do. Yeah, <laughs> he was. Yep, couldn't catch me though. But- <laughs> <laughs> I can't, I can't get over. You have a wing of your house being built by GRRM right now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I had to break away for a sec. I have to bring this up, and I'm sure you guys have all thought about this. And this hit me only two weeks ago, and I really questioned whether or not I wanted to bring it up on the show. But I'm going to bring it up anyway. Glad you did. I'm glad I did too. <laughs> I might not be afterward, but so listen. We all know how uh, George R. R. Martin has a has a very strong affinity for uh, Lord of the Rings and basically anything that Tolkien's written, mm-hmm. right? And we see a lot of similar yep. stuff. I mean, he's even quoted himself saying how he wanted Blackwater to be like Helm's Deep. And that's fine because, like, it's great to get inspired by good work. I totally respect that, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, um, he really is inspired by J.R.R. Tolkien a lot because, um, I, I mean, I, like I said, I'm sure you guys have all caught this, but I think it just needs to be said aloud uh, one of these days. But let's just compare uh, names. Oh God! J. R. R. Tolkien, George R. R. Martin. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Can we just well, what? Can we just even the J and the George? That's what I'm saying, and it's a one syllable thing. I don't know thing. how this happened. Do you think it's, it happened, like, Selena? I don't know if or he, it was manufactured. Well, I don't know if he was born with this name or if he changed it. Like I don't. Uh, he must have added an R. Well, J. K. Rowling was suge- was suggested that she add the K. I mean, her name isn't. 
Joanne Kathleen Rowling. That's just that was. But she didn't make herself sound exactly like. No, no, no. You know, okay. It's not like yeah. J. Nor is she quoted. But I'm saying the publisher said to her, "You should have a th- third syllable." Like, what kind of feedback is that? Like, what is that BS? Like, it has nothing to do with your story. It has to do with the fact that you're the author of a story that's being published in the modern day, and somehow a second you know, initial is somehow going to help in, in your game. It does. Or notoriety. It does, man. Or, it's it's, well, it's so, little, little so, bits of branding. So we're, we're arguing the same point though, that perhaps George R. R. Martin, if that wasn't his real name, you know, it, you know, doing literature and, and I'm trying to, um, I don't know the other works that he's written. He's written plenty of stuff that isn't game of Thrones, but the fact, you know, that, 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 that the two authors would inevitably be compared if their names were similar. Um, you know, maybe that was a, a, as strategic a decision by the publisher, um, or by the author himself as it was, you know, for, for, for JKR and her people. I'm not totally certain, but I do believe that his previous works, even in television, he was George R. R. Martin. Yeah. I'm not so, certain. Yeah. I'm pretty yeah. sure. Yeah. He he, was. It's, I just looked up. He was born with those two middle names. Well, right, right, so right. Well, who's born with two middle names? Yeah. George R. R. Martin. I'm just, <laughs> I, I know that it's, okay, it's totally natural. And like I said, I respect his inspiration, but it's just funny because he is on the daily compared to someone <laughs> who writes like Tolkien. Yeah. And he's on the daily, probably been quoted, been like, hey, I, I love this and I want to write an epic like this, Black Waters like this. I wish we could have had horses like this. And then I just got to thinking, I was like, wait, R.R.? Oh, shit. Mm-hmm. And it, it, has, it has the same cadence. It's like one syllable, two syllables, a two-syllable last name. You know, J.R.R. Tolkien, George R.R. R. Martin. And I was just like, oh, shit. This is too, it's too close. It's weird is what it is. Yeah. It is. It is weird. So it, yeah. is our literature world being constructed by a higher power, like behind the government? That's just like going to have like sections of great fantasy that's been written, and it's just going to replace people like Tolkien's being replaced with Martin, Rowling eventually be replaced with like the next Fifty Shades of Grey author. You know, oh, hopefully well, not. Hundred Shades of Grey. <laughs> God, uh, I I don't know yes. why Christopher Tolkien, who is Tolkien's son, uh, didn't adopt some middle names. For himself. Well, I mean, it's like, think of Stephanie Meyer. I think that mm-hmm. you, Twilight would have seemed a little bit sexier if it was S. Meyer or S. L. Meyer than <laughs> Stephanie. You know what I mean? It does matter. Names yeah. matter. You see that on the front page of every book. Like, what's what's more respectable, J.K. Rowling or Stephanie Meyer? You know what I mean? Like, you went to elementary school with Stephanie, mm-hmm. but you've never met J.K. That's <laughs> true. That's what I'm saying, guys. But All that stuff matters. Have. Well, you might have Micah, but you also have GRM building shit on your house. Like, if you have a, <laughs> I hear that you're getting an armor room just for suits of armor from different it's Renaissance true. times. Like, yep. what the hell? Nope. It's respectable. It's very respectable. Yep. So, Littlefinger sure. sees the blade. All right, he takes the blade, and uh, he's so good with it. And I thought that that was a little fishy. And then he flicks it across the room, no doubt, trying to show off to you know Little Miss a little bit. Yeah. Like, he's yeah. really good at that. But, like, I don't know how to break it to him that she's married to Ned Stark. So, throw your knife, but Ned's got a giant two-handed sword that's double-bladed, <laughs> double-sided blade, and it's made of Valyrian steel. And also, it's called and ice. And he's got ice. Yeah, it's well, there. there. <laughs> yeah, Ridic. No, no, I'm saying and he has ice. And yeah, has yeah, ice. in addition to that, he has ice. Yeah, yeah. And oh a kingdom. Well, their awkward conversation between Ned and Baelish happens later. So, that's that's in the later chapter. Which is fun. Um, which is fun. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it was shocking that we get this uh, culprit, you know, that, that Baelish says, oh, yeah, this was mine. Yeah. This was mine. But then, you know, I lost it on Joffrey's name day. 
uh, you know, the queen got her emerald back, but everything else went to Tyrion Lannister. And all of a and sudden, boom, shocking. across space and time, right, John's chapter where Tyrion appeared. You know, we know John is with Tyrion. It was like, oh, my God, what's going to happen? Is this going to come up? You know, that kind of thing. And it just kept the pace flowing really well. And then when we meet Tyrion, we so like him. it's so shocking to us because we like yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well. We're, we're thinking, how could he possibly... Get out of my brain, you know, Selena. <laughs> Evan the one. I'm but sorry. yeah, we know at the time. I mean, for people, even for people who are reading, do we, do we know that it wasn't, in fact, Tyrion? I mean, I, I think based on what we know from the book already, we can assume that... Jamie, you know, and and Cersei, Tyrion's brother and sister, would have gotten the knife off him somehow because Tyrion is 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 you know weeps for the boy essentially. Um, I feel like it could have been Tyrion because they he, he is sort of set up as a you know he makes the hard choices for his family. I feel like we do know though. I mean, remember when they were breaking their fast the next morning? He was like, "Hey, what's going on with this?" Like, no one ever told him exactly what happened. And he, the whole time he was chatting with John, there was no inner monologue that he like showed a, a shifty expression that John couldn't quite understand. Like, I don't know. I feel like it was obvious. Maybe not to me. It was innocent. Yeah, I think it's too yeah. obvious. Like, it cuts away and he's just hanging out. Like after John, you know, is fighting with those guys and he's just chilling and just enjoy, enjoying the wall. But then. But then he did have that, you know, when John sort of got so excited at the end of the chapter and he d- he was like, oh, my God. And he like spun Tyrion around, which I'm guessing Tyrion probably was not happy about. <laughs> um, but and Tyrion sort of has that like curious expression on his face. And you think, hmm, no, that's you true. Know, is he upset that Bran woke up? Yeah. Or maybe so John- he's just sick from being tossed around like a yeah, <laughs> I would be. He just wasn't expecting that. Sad for his brother. Like, with his brother, like, maybe he's disappointed in what his brother did or commanded, and he's just like, doesn't want anyone to know about it because it's his bro. Yeah, but you even remember uh, back in the scene where they're all at breakfast or brunch with each other, Lannister brunch. Uh, what about Eleven know, Seas? Let's call it Eleven yeah, Seas. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Tyrion said, oh, I, I really would like to hear what he has to say when he wakes up. So why would somebody <laughs> who is going after him and tr- you know trying to kill him be so interested in him waking up? I mean, it's up in the air because we don't – the point of view is that we get uh, – have we had a point of view from Tyrion since the murder happened? Yeah, Okay, so exactly. Like I oh, feel like yes. – I don't know. I feel like it would have been in his mind. That's the whole advantage of having these POV chapters, right? Like yeah. we, get to, we get to know stuff that other people just assume, you know? And who's to trust Peter Baelish? Why – he's just been introduced as a character. You're just going on the past relationship between Catelyn and him. Mm, I trust him simply because he, he likes Catelyn that much. Um, I trust him to be – Truthful to her. I trust him less because of Me that, too. really, because he'd do anything yep. to like get in her good graces. In her uh, good graces. Good graces. I guess I, I guess he would know that she can spot bullshit, though. I mean, maybe she's in a state where she's vulnerable currently, so she will be gullible to, to lies and stuff, but I don't know. Well, Roderick did shave his beard, and so that's... It, it brings up the mood down a whole lot in the Stark camps. That's so true. It's maybe, true. maybe, maybe that's the case. That was such a downer. I know. That's like how they added that in. I was like, that's great. <laughs> I've seen it happen to people. Okay. So you just got to shave it off. <laughs> you can tell that George R. R. Martin has a beard because every time, sometimes someone loses a beard in this series, it's like majorly depressing Someone pours for out everybody. a glass of fire whiskey every time someone loses a beard. <laughs> uh, although I don't think Tyrion was present when John was in the courtyard uh, showing the four people how to fight with swords going out for all of their blood mm-hmm. that was intense because you see john is just you know he's only 14 these boys are older than him 
but it's it's this real example of just really being yourself. You know, John doesn't really have this ill will, but the fact that he is proud um, really gets in his way. And later in the chapter, he's told, "You're you know, you're a bully." Um, yeah, right. You know, by, yes. by the Smith, and this is like this get real moment for him where. You know, and and the Smith. Uh, sorry, what's his name? Um, Donald Noy. Noy, Noy. It reminds me of Louis <laughs> when I when I read it. I was like, <laughs> man, Zach is getting real here. There we go. But uh, yeah, Noy is is telling uh, you know John Snow, hey, look, okay, some of these boys, their mothers were whores, and some of these boys, you know, the only sword training they've ever gotten has been like beating each other with sticks in the backyard of a brothel. Um, so this was real. This was a get real moment where John, you know obviously has this tremendous uh, coming of age real quick. You know, he, he ends up making the right decision to train the boys himself, but he, he didn't realize that this kind of thing was happening. But when those boys came in, you know, and were about to kill him it were, or, you know, injure him, it was, it was very real. And uh, John was, John really didn't know how to deal with it. Yeah. I think it was a, like a wake up call for the audience or the, the readers as well. Cause we've sort of been like, Oh, well, poor John. And they're all bullies to him and sort of being on his side. And then suddenly Donald Noy just comes along and is like, actually, Schools him. you know, you're so entitled. I, I hate, I, I almost didn't want to bring this up, but I'm going to do it anyway. Cause I hate making more powder references than we absolutely have to. But this reminded me so much of Harry in book five when he's just sort of busy bitching about, oh, I'm the chosen one and life sucks, blah, blah, blah. And so at one point, someone, probably Hermione, goes along and says, you know what? We're in this too. <laughs> yeah. Your life isn't that bad. Just get over it. Yeah. It's true. It's, uh, you know, it, I think a lot of these chapters for John is just learning. You know, last chapter that he was in, uh, we saw him, he was getting schooled by Tyrion. And it's actually Tyrion in the show that kind of teaches him a little bit about helping out these other guys to, to train and to be as good as he is. But in the book, it, he's replaced by Donald Noy. And so um, I just think that you know, it's interesting watching his development uh, you know, as a character because he is such a young boy in, in, in these scenes. Um, but... There, I know Eric brought up whores earlier, and there was another mention of John's mother. Oh, God. Um, and uh, he said, you know, he dreamed of her at times so often that he could almost see her face. In his dreams, she was beautiful and highborn, and her eyes were kind. So maybe that's another tip of the cap to the fact that Jon Snow's mother is not a whore. This is so look, mm -hmm. George R. R. Martin really needs to stop doing this. And <laughs> Quit, my George. friend Andrew, my friend Andrew was telling me stop doing whores. Sto no, stop doing <laughs> <laughs> Stop bringing up Jon Snow's mother in such an obvious 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 way. Um, you know, my friend my friend Andrew and I were talking about this the other day and Andrew basically uh, you know, started reading the books at 2 after seeing the first season. 2 years old. Now he's going yep. back to <laughs> Start early. <laughs> no. Now now he's going but no. Now my friend Andrew's rereading book 1 like we're doing and he, you know, he said this this Jon Snow question about his lineage is so over over the top. You know, he's beating us with it, really. You know, yeah. when Jon Snow is having these dreams about his mother being highborn, it's way obvious. Yep. Way obvious that there is I think it's only obvious, so though, much more. since we pointed it out, because there's lots of people that don't think, you know, that just kind of accept the people that they bring up along the way saying, oh, it's this person. Disagree. Even, you know? even, in, even in Ed's second chapter, there's that moment where he goes back to Lyanna pleading. You know, pleading for, yes. for him again. I'm like, oh my god, I need to stop hearing about this. Yeah. This is something Jon Snow's lineage is not going to have a payoff. I know this for books and books and books and books and books. <laughs> and this first, if if at all, theoretically uh. speaking, you're 
you're probably right. I mean, if at all. <laughs> yeah, and so theory. George R. Martin really needs to stop it. Like, this is too distracting for me. Like, the one theory that I heard Although, from Although, somebody... Eric, Eric, what? the actor uh, who plays Theon Greyjoy did ask George R. Yes. R. Martin, and he got the answer. So he knows. He knows. Yeah, he does. It is oh. known. Only because, like, he's a Lily Allen fan. Yeah. This is, yeah. God, George R. R. Martin's such a boss. <laughs> like, J.K. Rowling guards her secrets. Like, her kids are asking him. She's still, like, go to, he's like, go to bed. You can read it. You can read it. Just wait in line like everyone else <laughs> yeah. at midnight. You know what I mean? Hey, do you want me to build you a treehouse? All right, thanks, baby. Thank you. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. <laughs> tree out, Hogwarts tree house. But George R. R. Martin's like, well, your sister's like a pop star and shit. You want to get some beers and talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, anyway, I just think this was another over-the-top moment where I had to, like, sigh real loudly uh, because I'm tired of hearing about it. Honestly, this, <sighs> oh, well. This Jon Snow thing. I don't, You're probably going you to hear about it more. You're going to hear about a lot more. <laughs> Welcome to Game of Thrones. No. Yeah. Uh, I thought it was great when they gave a little bit of uh, context with, with Noi, or Nui, or however you say his name, because we get to learn that he made Robert's Warhammer like he oh, he, yeah. he he's a he's an awesome blacksmith or whatever and he was an awesome fighter and then when he got his body askewed he had to relocate to the wall <laughs> i'm just going to be nice about it he had to relocate to the wall and he's such like a, a a great and sort of mythical person within Westeros yet he's sort of lowly and normal inside of the the night's watch which it really just gives a lot more respect to the whole situation with the night's watch i mean from the pov of john it's sucky like a boring summer camp but really it is honorable in a way and it sucks but they're they're hardened military people and it's kind of sad that they're not very well trained up. So when he's telling John, he's like, hey, listen, you're kind of an ass. And I felt like that was the best advice that he could have ever gotten. And it was some of the best advice within the show. And it's just really great adolescent context because, you know, like you guys have all been saying, he uh, he was very haughty and just like, oh, woe is me. And we were all on his side. But then, you know, you, that perspective where you learn like, dude. These people do have it bad. You just imagine how scared they are too. Like, give them a break. And they didn't even choose. To yeah, come and you're trained. You're trained. You are a badass. You don't have to show anyone. We call we call you Lord Snow as a joke, but halfway, <laughs> yeah. it's not a joke. Your dad's the hand of the king, bro. Yeah. And he's like, by the way, who is your teacher? Oh yeah, Sir Roderick Cassell. Yeah, total yeah, badass. An old knight, wasn't it? An old knight, wasn't it? Yeah. So, so it's just like, what the hell? So it was really great when we move on and, you know, uh, we get the whole Raven situation and he sprints up and we get to learn more about Mormont, which is great. And we see a lot of him in the show, which is, which is also great. But, you know, he's saying like, hey, can you read? Can you do this? Can you do that? And he reads the letter. He's excited. He's happy. He's sprinting out. And I feel like they could have shot at like 10 things I hate about you, like teen movie. And he's running out, like <laughs> singing to like the people as he's running, like to the guards. And they're like, where are you going, John? He's like, my brother's alive. You know, it's like beautiful and funny. <laughs> But he gets back to the uh, to the cafeteria, and this is one of my favorite parts because you know uh, we didn't talk about Thorne earlier, but he's a total dick, just just a, just a dick ass, whatever yeah, that is, yeah. just a just a shit bag or whatever. He's he's an asshole, <laughs> but he like he doesn't like John. John's an asshole. We get it, but he's also a kid. Thorne has no perspective. Thorne is just yeah. jealous, and he's a bastard. Not literally, because then he wouldn't call John a bastard so much. But you know, we get to dislike Thorne even more. But in this moment, we get a very small, I don't want to go back to Potter, but a very like Snape-esque, Potter-esque like victory where all of the people in the room are like, ha, 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 ha. And hell, even the Slytherins chuckled a little bit. And the whole time, he's just yeah. looking at John like, you son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. He said yeah. like with the acid tones of an enemy, which is, which is very yes. foreboding. Um, the fact that John has gone well, Thorne probably doesn't even have as good training, or, or didn't, you know, when he came to the Wall as 
John, you know, now does. And the fact mm-hmm. that John has offered to train these boys, um, you know, to, to, to show them to resist it. Like, that's a, that was a tremendous character moment for John. But now I'm like, oh, no. Now he's just got – instead of having four incompetent enemies, he's got one competent enemy. Um, I feel like um, yeah, this sure. this is a kind of like anyone who's ever been in school, anyone who's ever sort of had to, to deal with, you know, making yourself – look cooler is what you do is you you know diss the teacher that nobody likes that's true <laughs> and i can say this because you know i've worked as a teacher so it's okay <laughs> <laughs> but no it's it's true though isn't it like you just you find that common enemy and that's what he did and that's i think the only way that he could make himself cooler to the kids is you know i'm gonna call it right now i think the such obvious loathing from thorn to snow and such obvious loathing that we're supposed to have toward the, the Thorn so early in the books, I think that Thorn is probably going to come back and save John's life at some point someday or something like that. Some kind of redemption. Snape-ish. Yeah, so, some kind of really great redemption, you know? <laughs> maybe he's John's father. Uh-huh. Yes, maybe he is. <laughs> we'll play with that idea some. There was, uh, there was other one other great quote that I liked um, where John was looking up at the wall and he said that he knew if the wall fell, the world would fall with it. Oh, oh, man, that was my awesome. own of the week, man. Oh, I'm sorry. It's okay. <laughs> you can say that still. Okay. It was uh, no, it was great, and I was talking about it earlier, but just getting the imagery of the wall, it really, really uh, yeah. gave the scale of the whole thing, and it really dwarfs everything in the story. It makes everything seem as insignificant, every single thing. The fact that that wall is there pretty much makes yeah. everything seem yes, silly. You does. know what I mean? Like, it's just like, well... Cool mm-hmm. about your wolf. Cool about, you know, even the butcher boy who got <laughs> killed, you know. But that wall is there for a reason. And Bran just saw some shit in his dream. Like, man, it's just like we're waiting. We're waiting books and books and books, you know. But I, yeah, and I feel, like, I feel exactly like that. But I sort of feel like I have to put that knowledge aside. Because going through, like, five plus huge tomes of stuff that... When the wall, you know, if it falls, when the White Walkers or whatever break through, none of that essentially would matter that much. But I feel like that's kind of depressing when you have to read about it. Yeah, it's true. And he did, and he he did it knowingly. Like you can't put those kind of descriptors about this ancient wall mm. without mm-hmm. doing something to the audience. And it was brilliant. Just great storytelling, really, to George. Like just great storytelling. A lot of a lot of really brilliant imagery. Nice yeah, job, Uncle Ray. Nice job, yeah, Uncle Ray. Yeah, well done. Can you nice. can you get that? Just put another coat on that accent wall. Thanks, Ray. Yeah. Thanks, Ray. <laughs> <laughs> nice job. Well, Fifty Shades of Grey oh, now with George God. R. Martin. Um, we have uh, our final chapter, and again, we get our second bit of nettered, which is beautiful. And let's savor it. And I won't offer a moment of silence, but if you guys would like, you can press pause on whatever device you're playing. <laughs> we, we can't. We can't do that. But you guys can't. So I'm. Sure, if you just did, welcome back. If you didn't, uh, glad that you're here. But um, he's in King's Landing because he's now the hand of the king. And it's cold, uh, not in temperature, but in spirit. And he probably still does have his furs on because that's what rappers do. And Ned is obviously, like, he would be an OG, like, from the old school, like, one of the, like, either East Coast, West Coast, like, Tupac, Biggie stuff. Like, he'd be one of those guys. And um, he's in the council room, and he's meeting all of these people that he knows about. And we're, uh, we're, 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 it's cool because we're meeting people that we've already met through the other points of view. So, we already have our own opinions of them, but not from Ned's perspective. So, it's very interesting how he's sort of pieced this whole thing together. Yeah, and this whole meeting with the the council um, or the the, the – the few of them that are there 
um, you know, I found it interesting and it's like, sure, they're just talking about money mostly, um, you know, until the very end. But I just found it fascinating that um, essentially Ned is 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 drawn into the, this council meeting about, you know, the funds that Robert wants to hold a, a tournament in celebration of, of Ned's, you know, appointment as Hand of the King. And they're talking about the money. And as it turns out, the crown, as it were, is is currently six million gold dragons um, in debt. That three million of that is owed to Tywin Lannister, um, which is never a good situation when somebody, you know, when when Tywin is already, you know, the Lannisters already own half the uh, half the world. You know, they got the the Guardian of the East, the Watcher of the West, and the wife is in bed with Robert. And the kid is, you know, next in line to be king. In addition to all of that, the crown is indebted to the Lannisters financially. So the Lannisters really are like, I want to say that was the web, that was the spider of, of, you know, this whole chapter is the fact that the Lannisters have so much control of the crown. The other part of it is that Robert has apparently been so careless that, you know, because Ned says when Eris, who is, you know, the Mad King, was was in in power the treasury flowed with gold quote end quote and so robert and this is this is not excusable robert has bankrupted the crown um you know by by not paying attention to the penny pinchers you know is it just whoring and 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 feasting how could this have possibly possibly happened robert's just like what we said last week rob just robert just isn't meant to be king. He's the frat boy. Yeah, exactly. Well, yes, yes. Yeah, Even exactly. Ned is shocked. Even Ned is like, "What's going on?" Like, you know, it's only been it... Ned is like the guy who did all his homework. Has it been fourteen? <laughs> but was still pretty good looking and filled out later. You know what Has I mean? been, hasn't it only been like fourteen years though? Um, it hasn't been since... long. No, not yeah. not too long. It's fourteen years. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't take long to bankrupt a country. I mean, yeah. Just look at us as a perfect example. That's my point. Um. Well, three fourths of us, at least. Uh, Selena is yeah. multi multi country based. She she has <laughs> citizenship in seventeen different options. countries. <laughs> Speaks seven language, including Sumerian. Anyway, and Dothraki. Um, and Dothraki. But um, I feel like this was a sort of a nod toward what's happening with us and maybe China, with uh, mm-hmm. such ownership and uh, depending on people so much. But also, we have a very Robert like um, mindset right now with our country in real life, which is sort of scary because we see what happens traditionally throughout history and in, and in fiction like this, what happens when you sort of have this YOLO attitude that Robert has, which is very YOLO. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> which so for all of you guys that are listening that aren't quite as hip, uh, means you only live once. So, uh, YOLO is... Carpe diem. Yeah. Isn't that a James Bond you know. movie? I, maybe. <laughs> no, that's you only live twice. <laughs> you only live twice. <laughs> it's, it's true though. Like, I feel like Robert's like, damn it. I don't want to care about that stuff. That's why I hired you guys. Like you guys, like I got my manager, I got my agent. Like he's like, I'm the king. I'm the talent behind all this whole thing. Like I did the work. I'm here. So I want you guys to handle it. I just want to have a blast and not worry about that stuff. Also, I don't want to be crazy like the last guy and kill people that, you know, like if maybe I owe someone a debt, oh, I'll just take over their castle again. And now my debt is zero, which I feel like is probably something that 
homeboy used before Robert came into power. So his the fact that he's so docile and so serendipitous, I think that's why they're in debt. I don't think it's because he's an idiot. I just think it's because he just doesn't want to stress about dumb shit. Yeah. But ultimately, it is their job to prevent this sort of thing. As Treasurer, Baelish's job, you know, everybody's job to prevent this from happening. In fact, Ned even says, you know, how could John Aaron have let this happen? Um, you know, it, it just seems it, it does take him by left field. The fact that the crown is broke um, and that so much is already leaning towards the Lannisters. But the um, kingdom's fine, though. It's a lot like America right now. It's like, well, no one's like, I mean, like in general, the kingdom's fine. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. I They're mean, just they in call debt. In their debts at any, just like China could call in their debts any day. I guess you're right. You know what but I mean? I mean, ultimately, it, it flourishes, if that's a word. No, it, it it fleshes out the 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 um, revelation at the end of this chapter, which is that the Lannisters, you know, even more so than before, are 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 a force opposed to the Starks. I right. do. I mean, I do think, you know, to your point, Zach, there's a lot of history based in Westeros and just the overall, you know, culture of things. And that there was an interview, and I'm forgetting which one that George R. R. Martin did, where he specifically talks about sort of the different groups of people and how they're, you know, in ways resemble, you know, a lot of world history and different groups kind of migrating from one place to another and the clashes that that they had over time. Well. I think I think it's vivid, honestly, and I agree about with all that. And I think uh, I think it's powerful because whether or not people do know it, they passively sort of live through all the same stuff that's in these books, passively in their real life. And uh, we get to see sort of a, a, a fantastical adaptation of what we know because stories are just things that people have made up due to what they've been inspired by, you know, and whatever context they live right. in, be it real world circumstances or Hunter S. Thompson and uh, substance abuse. Either way. It's uh, <laughs> it happens, but it was it, it was really nice. And, and, and Eric, I mean, you're exactly right. This whole chapter was basically in purpose just to show that Ned is a, is a homebody who's who likes the countryside and likes his his family and just wants a good place to live and to live honorably and to give people that are his like underlings. I don't want to say underlings. That sounds kind of bad, but uh, give people that are with him that he has responsibility of a good and easy life. Whereas these people are very sort of Hollywood and they're, you know, glitz and glamor and, and they're, they're focused on living more extravagantly than just living. And it, it, it really paints the context for why they're doing this hand of the King tournament in general, because I, I do feel like it's necessary. Like from Ned's perspective, we think it's a total wash. It shouldn't happen. It just costs too much money. It's irresponsible, but this is their kingdom. This is, the people that live in this world, this is their life. And they just picked up Robert's old like war buddy that helped overthrow the entire bad regime before. And they just brought him from, you know, hundreds and hundreds of miles away on horseback um, and carriage to this kingdom to now live here, not only just live there, but to be second in command of the entire kingdom. So he's like, you know, we got to celebrate, Ned. Like we can't just because I'm in debt to my wife's dad doesn't mean we should not like live it up because hell this is what people want with their with their government you know yeah it's almost like the olympic games it cost england 11 oh, yeah. billion dollars yeah. uh, to put on and a lot of people are complaining that kind of money being spent with the economy not only just in england but throughout europe and even here in america being in the state that it's in that that kind of money gets spent on an event like that and you know that's a funny comparison as well because if you look at like the the opening ceremony which just happened a few days ago it was basically it was great but it was basically england saying to the world look how great we are and that's kind of what is happening here as well it's kind of like king robert saying look 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 how great my new hand is yeah. like me give me money <laughs> <laughs> but it's true though. it's like i feel like we need that 
I, I understand the 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 angst people have towards seeing what the bill costs to put on the Olympic Games. Like Russia has already dropped, or like their their eleven billion is what it's going to cost because they're doing the Winter Olympics there. I forget the town name, but the Winter Olympics in um twenty sixteen or well, oh god, that's horrible. Who would are in who, Russia? Wh- my, Russia's already that's cold. Be very cold. Russia's <laughs> already cold. That's the Winter Siberia? Olympics. Siberia. That's the whole. Come thing. on, man. It's not going to be in Siberia. That's it's that's like I won't be in Siberia. I forget the name um of the city, but Sorgi. Yeah, yeah, something like that. But it's in it's in Russia, and they put the bid in for it, and they're spending the same amount of money on the Winter Olympics. Um, and I feel like as a worldwide effort for what the Olympics does, or let's go ahead and say for the sake of this, what these this tournament does is that for a in in a, in a certain perspective, small amount of money, they're affecting basically the entire planet of people that at least participate in the planet. So it's like it seems like a lot of money, but you know, every four, every two years, in some way, the Earth gets to come together and just kind of hang out yeah. and just chill. And I think that it is so necessary. And mm-hmm. I think that it is something that, like I said, people may not understand it completely because it does seem like a lot of money is being thrown away. But hell, it's like at the end of the day. We can just dig up more gold or just print more money if shit really comes down to it. Like, I don't want to turn out like Kenya and have like $500,000 bills that cost that are worth like 50 cents. But all I'm saying is like, it's, it's necessary. I, th- I feel like it. The next uh, right. Olympics. You made a good point. Good for Rob. Is, uh, <laughs> yeah. Is Sochi. It sounds like a Pokemon. Oh, it does. It probably is. S- Sochi. Um, I'm I'm competing with Micah uh, and Eric and Selena. You're invited too if you'd like to be a chaser. But Ooh. we're gonna join the uh, the U.S. team for Quidditch. It, no, I don't think I can do that. Well, I'm foreign. That's that's true. Well, <sighs> no, what she what she means is she can't uh, face off against. The, she can't face. <laughs> she can't join the side of the state. She'll she'll be joining for Denmark. <sighs> Are you kidding that's me? That's what Selena? I mean. I'll do, I'll do my own team. All right. Well, I want you to just look up how many uh, gold medals you guys have versus us. Then we'll talk about it. See if you want to join the ranks. <laughs> <laughs> um, so hey guys, what do you think? That's about, fun till I play. What do you think about uh, Baelish keeping Catelyn locked away in a brothel or above a brothel? Like this is the final like. This is the, the I think Ned and him are are at odds even more so than Ned feels, um, simply because Baelish has stolen his woman away. He knew Catelyn was there way before Ned did, and has agreed, or you know, Catelyn has agreed to basically go and hide away in Baelish's house or his brothel. Um, you know, what we, this is complete ownership over Catelyn. I think that Ned kind of lets go because he's a good person but Baelish is trying really hard to like lay the smack down on Ned about this whole thing. I like his um his quote when I don't have the exact quote but I like it when he's taking Ned to the to the like through the castle and he sort of goes I'm bringing you down here to kill you and you know put you in a wall. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's cool. Like a little uncomfortable. He's yeah. cool. I mean he's a he sucks but he's cool. I mean that's the case with a lot of these characters cool. honestly. Like Jamie for example. They're a kid out the window. But he's he pretty damn cool. cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, That's just a hilarious exchange in general, though. Littlefinger in that situation with Catelyn and Ned. Do you feel like it was bad that he housed Catelyn in a brothel? Because I think she just needs to relax. You know, I thought it was okay because it makes sense that that no one would look for her there. Yeah, but Ned is just like so pissed that she's in a brothel. It's like Ned. Yeah. It's not like a playgirl mansion. There's girls here. Catelyn's fine. You know. I like, think it was the inference, though, right? That 
hey, your wife is in here. She's a whore, you know, that yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. but he, right. that's just so uppity. It's just so uppity. Still. Not as kind of like yeah, that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. I, I mean, hey, you can't win them all. He's a hedgehog. Remember, he's like Sonic. Oh, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and and Bayesh is like Knuckles. He's like, hey, come down to me lair. Let me show you something. <laughs> Yep. I do I do have to say I love that that whole exchange as well between Baelish and Ned and how you know the, here's to you Eric here's another potential reference to <laughs> Jon Snow's parentage if you look for it but Ned uh, remarked at one point that it was not the first time that he had had to make a common cause with a man he despised and I couldn't help but think that maybe he meant Rhaegar Targaryen. Oh, I didn't I didn't know that but what I what I caught was doesn't he say um somebody accuses him of having a uh, a bastard. Oh no, that was in the Jon Snow chapter. Yeah, I mean, I'm just ugh. They need to. He needs to let this one sit for a little while. This plot point needs to cool off. Um, Don't worry, it will. <laughs> so how does the chapter end? <laughs> Sorry, I just have a. How does the chapter end? I don't know. It ends with Catelyn, um, or it ends. It ends with. Uh, sorry, Eddard resolving to get to the very bottom of the Lannister um, crime. Um, syndicate essentially <laughs> the syndicate yeah about about yeah. bran about you know uh, th- the death of john Aaron, all of it this is all catlin's fault it is it is <laughs> like all of it it is <laughs> well except for the part of throwing bran out the window i know that's, that's true, true but the whole you know her traveling here and on the way back and getting to Tyrion lannister and all of that it's just god catlin she should have well, had i mean sense. he does say for for Catelyn to go to Deepwood Mott, right? And for her to call the banners so that they're prepared should any war happen. And yeah. also to keep an eye on uh, Theon Greyjoy. Speaking of keeping eyes on, I, I just thought of the Bran chapter again when he's flowing over the godwood and the tree looks back up at him. Isn't that creepy? Yeah. And he starts telling him about Din, the fire. Wait, that's Zelda. Never mind. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want some banners to call. I think I think everyone needs some banners just in call case shit goes down. You the know what I mean? Beacons have been lit. Yeah. If I listen, guys, if I needed to call some banners, what if if if, if I were Gondor and I called for aid, would you guys show up? We would. Yep. You know the definitely. beacons would light up, light up all the way here. You yeah. know who else would show up? Who would show up? Shaga, son of Dolph. Yeah, he would. <laughs> yeah, he would. They were really people were really happy about your reference uh, last week. I know he's he's a very underrated character. Clearly, <laughs> clearly and, on your mind. Uh, yeah, well, no, he should have gotten more uh, more character perspective in the series because he's obviously a fan favorite. Like, I think he would legitimately give Hodor a run for his money. Wow, wow. Shag- we should make words. a poll. Yeah, those are. Memes with Shaga, son of Dolph, versus Hodor. And if Shaga won that fight, imagine how many goats would be fed. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> well, listen, guys, on, t- on Twitter and uh, Facebook and all those different and email and places like that, you can uh, illustrate your thoughts of Shaga and, uh, versus Hodor. Or maybe just tell us why you think that Micah's threat last week was great, because that was definitely his second or third take, and he just would not budge. Oh, he, just, <laughs> he just, that was it. <laughs> that was hilarious. Honestly, didn't see We're it. We're like, something else Mike he was like because no. we're professionals here at Game of Owns we've been doing this for a bit and so we, we all know when it's time to take another take you know not everyone gets it on the first go but Micah clearly uh, his artistic integrity would not budge and we thank him for it <laughs> so we've already said my uh, own for this week was uh, George's writing style Uncle Ray um, you know talking about when the world when the wall falls the world will with it uh, how John feels about the world but uh, I'm sure you guys all have different owns of this week, if you can remember them, let's pull them together, see what we come up with. 
Uh, anybody want to go next? One moment, I'm sliding to unlock. Ooh. I've got one. Um, mine isn't so much a, a quote, it's more of a mo- it's a moment in John's chapter when Donald Noy sort of schools John, because I felt like this had to be my own, because Donald Noy owned me as well. You know, I was sort of going, yeah, John, you know, get the bullies, and you sort of have that wake-up call along with the character going, oh, actually, he was the bully, and I, I felt sort of ashamed. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah, the one. book has that effect. It does. It's Because we've all been there, too, where we might have the right idea about something, and then it just turns out we're totally wrong um, and behaving in a way that's being perceived in a, in a way we totally don't want it to be. So yep. that's cool. My, uh, my own of the week is when Bran is dreaming and the crow says, say, got any corn? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. That's um, so... Ugh. All right, I've got one. Um, this is between um, this is between Tyrion and John, just chatting as friends do, and um, they're talking about he. For some reason, he's telling um, Tyrion about where his sleeping cell is. Just you know, normal conversation. <laughs> and Tyrion goes, "Oh, that's the one with the broken battlement, no? Shattered stone in the yard below, and a lean to it like our noble King Robert after a long night's drinking. <laughs> I thought all those buildings had been abandoned. <laughs> so, yes, um, that's his king that they're talking about. And uh, quickly after, this is we'll just put it in the same one, but Tyrion's laughter steamed in the cold air. I'll be sure to tell your father to arrest more stonemasons before your tower collapses. It's <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. Good counsel and good job, Tyrion Lannister. Mm. We did get a handful of tweets and emails from you guys, and we selected a few of them to read off today that are just. Some, just some uh, just some owns, if you will, some owns of the week, uh, repressing that because we have a little bit more time. Yeah, today. well, I'll take this first one. Toko Masho says, uh, directly to, rec- to us and then also to Micah directly, um, nice one quoting Shaga, son of Dolph. He's probably my second favorite character next to Hodor. And the hashtags here, kidding, and then the one after it, not kidding. I think we have like <laughs> foreshadowing to our Shaga versus Hodor shit going down. Yeah, yeah, that's happening then. Uh-oh. Zach, do you want to get the next one? I don't. I'm not reading with my own name in it. Someone else do it. You do it, Selena. Okay, I'll do it. I'll get Jess's tweet to us. Uh, at Jess Chapman 84 says, Haha, less than two minutes into Game of Owns, and I've already been outed by Zach Louie as his accomplice in the toilet paper fort. Thanks, Z. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I do. Um, I always keep my promises, and you are outed. So there you go. <laughs> Zach, you'll have to read this. Oh, my and while it. we're talking about promises being kept, Shelby Lynn Walker, a.k.a. on Twitter, at Miss underscore writer, tweeted at Game of Owns, my own for the chapters goes to the direwolves in general. Oh, and the own of the episode goes to Micah's latest threat. Great quote. So again, people, <laughs> it's very popular. Mike is very popular with the ladies, people. So that's how it goes. So thank you, Shelby Lenwalk. Um, should we each take like a paragraph in this email? Uh, yep. Sure. Gordon writes into us from the contact at Game of Owns email address. Oh, that was your paragraph? Yep, that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was more of an intro. Okay, I'll take it. Go. Hysterical show. Pass my condolences on to Micah's family for me. Aw. I'm sure they are devastated after the hound cleaved him into... With a horse. God, that's a sharp missed. horse. <laughs> <laughs> he will be missed. It is known. Sad face. 
And then Gordon has blessed us with owns of the. It's week. okay though. I'm back. He's um, back. Thoros of yeah, you outer made space. it. <laughs> we just walked in to find. I him saw. Uh, I I got a visit paid to me by uh, Thoros of Mir. Some witch doctor comes That's in. That's good. He's back. That's yep. good. He's complacent, but he's back. Gordon also sent in some of his owns of the week, uh, including Renly pissing himself when he heard that a nine-year-old girl disarmed the Crown Prince of Westeros. <laughs> it sounds like so much more of a big of deal when you say the Crown Prince of Westeros. <laughs> Isn't it? I think yeah. Hamlet, like yeah, yeah. I don't know, <laughs> Prince of Denmark. Hey, something hey. is rotten in the state of Westeros. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, the next one is when Ned realizes how idiotic he was to kill Lady. All the Diewolves have owned a Lannister. Greywind owned like, Jamie. Nymeria owned Joffrey and Shaggy Dog. Uh, no, wait. Nymeria owned Joffrey, and Shaggy Dog, Summer, and Ghost all owned Tyrion. Um, but Lady died before she could be immortalized in the ownage history books for any oh, character. No. That's true. Well, Gordon, oh. some questionable comma use there, but we'll let it slide because this is not a show about grammar. But you should uh, know that he wrote, lastly, keep up the great work. The show is awesome. And one of those smiley faces where he used the capital D and he signed it with Gordon. So, Gordon, thank you so much for writing in. I think we can give a little round of snaps for Gordon. And a little bit of snap, snap, little, snap, snap, snap. We're beatniks snap, here on the Game of Owns podcast. That's not true. We are not beatniks. But if you would like to talk to us about who and what we are, we can always be found on twittercom owns or on our own respective personal Twitter accounts. Selena has been tweeting lots about the Olympics and different things that she's excited about. Um, and I don't even want to talk about what Eric and Mike have been have been tweeting about because those are questionable grown men, and they're on this podcast. And you can just look for yourself, guys. Guys, uh, you can email us as Gordon did. Um, so excellently to contact at gameofowns.com um, or visit our website, which we all contribute to at gameofowns.com for all the latest owns that happen even outside of the book or outside of the show. That should be your new intro. Now with music. <laughs> Yeah, you can go ahead and no, you pass can... that along. I'll take my royalties soon. You can find me and all my writing at hypable.com. We've got some great stuff. We've got some great interviews coming up soon. I'm really excited. Do you have a corner? So do you have a corner like Andrew has a corner? I do have a corner. What's your corner called? It's Selena Wilkin. That's it? So we, we just changed them. We had, we had I think I had like Selena Talks TV or whatever, but we just changed them to our names. Yeah. So that's what it is. And it's great not as great as Zach singing but it's pretty good and of course you can rate and review us on iTunes um, are we still flawless guys have we have we checked that's recently? a great question I would assume that we are after last week's threat but just in case, <laughs> just in uh, case just as in we case. mentioned on every episode we do appreciate uh, the five star rate and review and if you don't this week oh God. Uh, you will be forced to do a body shot of Dornish wine off of Varys's perfumed and lilac scented nipples oh God. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> this is Micah you're setting a dangerous precedent man you heard it from the horse's mouth the man having well, a Accept the challenge built to, by to George himself. And that's the way it happened. I'm Zachary. I'm Eric Skull. I'm Micah Tannenbaum. And I'm Selena Wilkin. Ho- Hodor. Shaga. Shaga.